0: From KQED.
1: from KQED in San Francisco, I'm Nina Kim. Coming up on Forum, every eight years, a group of California educators comes together to update the state's math framework for K-12 students. And this year's proposal has drawn a lot of attention. It de-emphasizes the importance of calculus, recommends more data science and statistics, and less tracking of students based on ability as it attempts to close persistent racial and economic disparities in math achievement. Stanford professor Joe Bowler helped write the new guidelines and has been described as a primary author. She joins us to explain some of the recommendations and take your questions. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Many high schools, as you might remember, structure their math curriculum this way: algebra, geometry, algebra two, and precalculus. And for those students on an accelerated math track, often determined in middle school, they start with geometry in ninth grade and take calculus, not precalculus, in twelfth grade. There is much too correct about the way math is taught to make its power accessible to all California students. That's according to the drafters of the state's new mathematics framework, a set of non-binding guidelines for K-12 public schools that are updated every eight years. And joining me now is one of the co-authors of those guidelines, which have drawn very strong reactions, Stanford math education professor Joe Bowler. Professor Bowler, welcome to Forum. Hello, Mina. Thank you for having me. Looking glad forward to, ha- to our chat. Yeah, yeah. glad to have you on and looking forward to our chat as well. It's called a math framework, not a curriculum. Why? What does framework mean exactly?
3: The framework is there really to guide decisions about how to teach and how to group students and approach content. It's not the curriculum, which is set out as the Common Core Standards. Those aren't changing at all but the framework offers guidance uh, for ways to really make maths exciting for all students in California.
1: So are districts required to adopt it then? They are not,
3: no, it's guidance.
1: And you are sitting on a committee that is drafting this guidance. Can you just tell us a little bit about it? Who is on it? Who's responsible for designing these updates?
3: Yes, sure. Well, it's actually a well set out process that started Um, quite some time ago with a committee of 20 mathematics educators from across the state. And although you don't read about this when people are attacking the framework, those educators actually set out the ideas for the framework. There's a set of writers. I'm one of five writers. Um, Not the lead writer, as is also claimed. Brian Lindemann is the lead author, but there are five of us who are given the job of writing up what that committee asked us to write about. And so
1: you are writing up what they asked you to write about, but are you also putting your
3: own ideas or thoughts about it? Do you agree with what you've been asked to write about? There was a lot of consensus. What the committee wanted. Um, it was very much in line with what the authors also wanted. Mm-hmm. So, Um, it's not been a difficult process of writing up what the committee wanted. We do um, bring in research evidence. Uh, Many of us, or all of us on the writing team, are researchers, and we know the evidence that supports um, what the committee wanted, so we're bringing in the evidence and connecting the ideas, but really the the ideas of the framework come from that committee.
1: I see. So then what is... What is it that the committee wanted? What is the intent or the thinking that is driving this year's revision?
3: Well, there's a few big initiatives in the framework, as you suggested earlier. Um, One of them, one of the central ideas, is we want to make maths more exciting, more meaningful for students. And so we're recommending that instead of teaching um, students lots of small ideas, going through method after method after method, that the content is organized as big ideas that are more interesting, more exciting, and students are investigating mathematical ideas. So they're given a purpose. Um, In many maths classes, your kids, students will be thinking, why am I doing this? When am I ever going to use it? They're given lots of short questions to do that don't mean much to them. They often forget as soon as they've walked out of the classroom. So one of the big initiatives of the framework is to change that, to make mathematics a more vibrant and interesting subject. Um, So one of the things we're doing is recommending teaching to big ideas. Um, When the standards were put together, they were never really intended to be things that people teach to, but that has happened in mathematics education. The publishers have taken all these detailed standards and written questions around them. Um, And that has resulted in this very disengaging curriculum for many students. And so we're talking about raising the standards up to a bigger idea and designing engaging activities that teach those bigger ideas.
1: Mm. So what's an example of a big idea?
3: So if you look at the elementary grades, for example, there are a lot of standards in grades two and three about learning about fractions, learning about unit fractions, also standards that talk about learning about shape and learning about area. And so, one big idea that we're suggesting is bring together those small, detailed standards, and teach students about shape and fractions together. Give them meaningful, good activities where they're looking at objects and thinking about the shapes that make up those objects, and learning about fractions as they do that work. We don't have to teach all of these um, areas of content in a disconnected way. We can bring them into activities together. Another example from high school, um, students spend a lot of time learning algebra. Another area of content in the standards is data. And it's actually much more interesting to learn about algebra through data explorations where you're, I don't know, looking at a data set of mammals and plotting Um, the variables on a graph and understanding the relationship of the variables, here you can learn about algebra and functions at the same time as learning about data. So it's really about bringing together what has been isolated content and highlighting mathematical connections.
1: So why are these types of changes needed? They certainly sound like they make math more accessible and interesting, but how has California been faring in math under the more traditional framework that I described in the introduction, say when it comes to like test scores and things like that?
3: Um, Not well, Um, not really because of the last framework, but just because over generations we've taught maths in the same way. And you could step inside a high school classroom today and it wouldn't look that different to a classroom in the 1800s, if you can believe that. And there have been these long traditions around mathematics that have been really hard to change. And so this framework is trying to change the way people think about maths and teach it as have previous frameworks tried. And we know that across the country and across California, students are not doing well. Most students don't enjoy mathematics. They leave the subject as soon as they can. Um, We're not graduating the numbers of students we need who have uh, mathematical thinking. And so we really need to make changes and to make maths better for students, Um, despite where we are though as a country and as a state. um, As you've alluded to, we get a lot of pushback when we try and change maths classrooms.
1: Yes, so it sounds like there's a broad agreement that change is needed. The question is what kinds of changes, and as you say, Um, your recommendations, the recommendations of the committee that you've written up have also drawn very strong reactions. And I want to invite our listeners to join the conversation with their questions for you. Joe Bowler is professor of mathematics education at Stanford Graduate School of Education and one of the authors of the 2021 guidelines. What are your questions about what you're hearing with regard to the intent behind changing the guidelines? What was your experience, maybe your kids' experience, um, in terms of learning math in the public school system, which is what these guidelines address? You can call us at 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786. You can get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum. You can email us, forum at kqed.org. You've gotten some reactions already, and Paloma writes, I was traumatized. I always got bad grades, and even when I thought I understood it, I'd end up with wrong answers. Not until college, when I was in an applied buying class, did I get A's. Do you hear comments like that a lot, Professor
4: Bowler?
3: Yes, um, we do. And unfortunately, many, many adults have been traumatized by maths, and we'll talk about how traumatic their mathematics experience was in school. So um, I'm really glad that that listener got a better experience in college, and when math became more applied, it became more interesting, and she was able to be successful, and I think that that is definitely something we know.
1: Well, this listener tweets, I went from sixth grade to honors math in junior high. I had no idea what was going on, and it was way over my head. As a result, I felt like I was stupid. It was the triggering event for my eventual drop out of school altogether. Not one adult stepped in to ask what was wrong. This reminds me a little bit of things that you have said in the past, I think, Joe Bowler, about this idea that there are people who are math people, like Mm -hmm. good at math, have a facility Mm -hmm. for math, and people who aren't. Mm -hmm. What do you think about that?
3: Yeah, unfortunately, that's still so, that idea is so widely held. People really think that only some students can do well in maths and that you're kind of born with a maths brainer, you're not. And we should probably talk about something that's really been highlighted in a lot of the criticism of the framework, which is our trying to make a more equitable system for students. Um, And you mentioned earlier that often students in middle school, and we just heard that example, are put into different tracks and some students are on that high level track to calculus. What actually happens is that that decision's often made in sixth grade using data from from tests in fourth grade and so we have a system now in many districts where we push most students out of higher level mathematics and they can never get to calculus and that decisions made based on their elementary years which really makes no sense at all and that is the system that we're trying to change we also recognize that this system where some students go on a faster track in middle school is not good for those students who are on that faster track often and middle school content is actually very important for students to learn and what's happened is because there are more courses in high school than there are years in high school in front of calculus which is itself a system that's problematic it has pushed uh, districts to have these faster tracks in middle school i teach stanford students now who tell me that Their middle school experience was a disaster and they rushed through content really quickly. They didn't understand it. It all unraveled for them in later years. And so high school actually has a lot of content that's repeated that whole year of Algebra 1. Then you take geometry and then Algebra 1 is repeated in Algebra 2. So it makes a lot more sense if we're going to compress content to do that in the high school years. There's room to do that. You could have students work on different content at different paces. Doing that in middle school, really doesn't make so much sense.
1: Well, you are definitely touching on some of the criticisms, and I want to dig into those more after the break. We're talking with Joe Bowler about California's new proposed math instruction guidelines for K-12 public schools. What's in them? What would change? And we'll have more after the break. Stay with us. This is Forum. I'm Nina King. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim.
4: Every eight years, a group of California
1: educators comes together to update the state's math framework for K-12 students. And this year's proposal has been written up in part by my guest, Stanford mathematics education professor, Joe Bowler, who is with us now to take your comments and questions about the proposed Math Framework, which is in its draft form. What questions do you have for Joe Bowler about it? What was your experience, or or maybe your kids' experiences, with learning math in the public school system? Do you remember being tracked in middle school, as Joe Bowler was describing a bit? How well did that go for you? Eight six six seven three three six seven eight six is the number. Eight six six seven three three six seven eight six. You can get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum. You can email us forum at kqed.org. It sounds like Professor Bola, you've had a lot of, you've heard from a lot of students about the experience, and even some of our listeners today of being in an accelerated math track as early as middle school and feeling a little bit lost. But at the same time, how does the framework approach kids who do show, you know, a real ability to pick up the concepts quickly, a great facility with math? I know that um, there's no such thing as a math brain, as you say, but does the framework make room for these kinds of learners?
3: Because that's been a real point of concern. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. main recommendation that we would have is um, there are different ways to really give an enriched experience to students who, as you say, maybe pick up maths quickly. Um, One of the dangers is thinking, well, if somebody picks up maths quickly, we should push them ahead at a fast speed, when actually those students um, could be really helped by going more deeply into ideas and taking them to higher levels. So one of the recommendations, and in the framework, we we really don't say you have to do this. We offer different uh, different examples. And so one recommendation is, if you have classrooms with really rich, deep activities that are more open-ended, higher achieving students can really take those to incredible places to higher levels. They're not held back by these small questions. And so that's one way in which students who really love maths, who may be doing really well, can have a really great experience as they go through school.
1: So the idea is to keep kids who have different facility with math all in the same class or an integrated classroom, as I've seen it be called, Mm -hmm. but just offering lots of different ways of doing math that could really challenge and benefit those students
3: who... That's one Possibility. We, as I've said, we really are not happy with a system that pushes most kids out of that higher level maths um, courses in the early years. So, other possibilities that we're suggesting is push back those tracking decisions. If you want to, as a district, put kids into different pathways, let's not do that when they enter middle school in sixth grade. You don't know what those students can do. Um, maybe push it back to 8th grade or ninth grade. Um, so we're really trying to offer different suggestions for ways of making mathematics available to more students.
1: San Francisco Unified School just has tried this, hasn't it?
3: Yes, and they've been very successful.
1: We've gotten a couple of comments here about San Francisco's program. For example, CU writes, I oppose the lack of evidence-based approach and peer-reviewable data from the San Francisco Unified School District that the framework authors rely on. Will Professor Bowler commit to an evidence-based approach by demanding that SF Unified release the data? to support the successes cited by the current framework. We have made multiple requests via California Public Records Act, and thus far, no evidence has been provided. It sounds like this person does not feel like whatever the successes that San Francisco Unified is reporting Mm -hmm. has been really backed up with information.
3: Right. So you're hearing from a sort of an organized group that is against uh, the changes that have been made in San Francisco. And so, um, but what I really want to, say very clearly is this framework is not based on what has happened in San Francisco. And the framework is based on research and evidence from across the field of mathematics education. San Francisco is barely if ever mentioned in the framework. And you might expect it to be mentioned somewhere as is LA Unified and all sorts of different areas in California. But in no way is this framework based on what's happening or what, what's been done in San Francisco. I also uh, think that people should listen to the district who've actually done the work and know the numbers of students, um, these groups that are opposed to the changes. Um, I, I, I don't know, I can't really comment on how much they know about what's happened in San Francisco, but um, the framework is really not based on that particular one district.
1: In terms of creating a sort of a rich learning environment, an integrated classroom, and where you are able to meet the needs of kids at, at all different um, levels and experiences with mm-hmm, math, mm-hmm. one thought I had is just schools are facing limited resources. Mm-hmm. And, and I wonder if that is a real concern for you in terms of the ability of, say, a classroom teacher with, mm-hmm. you know, 35 students to teach mm-hmm. kids, you know, who are at grade level, who are you know, beyond grade mm-hmm. level or who are approaching mm-hmm. that. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm thinking about a teacher in Sacramento who was critical in an LA Times article who was basically talking about how, um, you know, a large portion of her time is spent teaching foundational skills to support mm-hmm. different curriculum and it's just really hard to to really right. get to the concepts that mm-hmm. say that 20 percent mm-hmm. of students are that are yeah. above grade level need.
3: Yeah, so what you hear from that critique is teachers who think that mathematics is a is narrow questions. If you teach mathematics in that narrow way, it's very hard to have students who have got different achievement levels, as that teacher points out. You have to think of different questions for different students and um, or you have students who are struggling and students who aren't challenged in the same class. What we're talking about is having a different system of mathematics questions that are much more uh, open and rich so different students can access them at different levels and you don't have this problem. I would also say though in your question it's very important that teachers get time to learn and get and uh, are given the resources and the professional development they need to learn new ideas. Um, that's so important for our future and our economy. Other professions get the time they need to learn and we need to provide that for teachers too. And one of the ways this framework will be successful is our wonderful county office system in California. These county offices across California are in charge of the professional development of their teachers and they will take the ideas from this framework and use them in their teacher learning. In fact, many county office uh, leaders were on the original framework committee. So it's not that this framework just goes out and teachers are expected to change. There is a system um, through which they will learn through their districts and their county offices these important ideas.
1: Do you agree then with Mary, who writes, in my opinion, as a former elementary school teacher, the main problem is that the vast majority of elementary teachers do not really understand math. Therefore, they don't teach it well, and their subtle Mm -hmm. bias of not liking or understanding math gets passed on to their students. Changing the framework, Mary writes, will do nothing to solve the problem of undereducated elementary school teachers fix the teaching, not the framework. Would you
3: put it that way? Uh, No, I wouldn't. I would say that there's a lot of elementary teachers who are math phobic and fear maths and that's really unfortunate and something that the framework is absolutely about changing and really can help with. Um, We know that lots of elementary teachers in particular have had bad experiences with maths and unfortunately, many of them think that they can't do well in maths. This is at the root of their bad experiences. People have told them that they can never do well. We work with teachers all the time in workshops. And when they see maths differently, when they work through activities themselves, they it's an amazing experience for them. They realize mathematics can be different to what they thought and that they can do well in it and that their students can do well. We've actually we worked with a large group of fifth grade teachers in the Central Valley and they learned the ideas that are similar to these in the framework and it completely changed their teaching. Uh, But what they first did was they started to realize that they themselves could do well in maths. So they had to change their relationship with maths first and that led to them being able to teach differently. And uh, even in that year, that the teachers made these changes, their students did significantly better on the standardized tests, particularly girls and language learners. So we know that teachers can become unlocked if you like, and see maths differently and teach differently from the ideas in the framework. So I think the person who um, said that is right. There are a lot of maths traumatized elementary teachers. That's why we need this framework.
1: Well, we've got a lot of calls coming in. and Let me remind listeners, that number is 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786. You can email us, forum at org or get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum. Let me go to Michael in Mill Valley. Hi, Michael.
2: Hi, thanks so much for taking my call. I have, I think what's kind of a basic question, and I should just say as background, I have two kids in middle school, um, both of whom have been tracked into advanced math, and I myself Um, have a PhD in a chemistry-related field, and and I guess my question has always been, why is math taught separately from the problems it's intended to solve in science and in the world? Like, when did that happen, and is there a way to sort of reintegrate math and science as a curriculum? Because that might seem to solve a lot of the sort of issues you're trying to fix in math um, in in a more holistic way.
3: Michael, thanks. Joe, Great question and great suggestions, yes. Um, that's certainly one of the things that we're talking about and recommending is that mathematics is taught through real and important situations. Um, another source of the pushback is people saying you can't do that with maths. It has to be pure and abstract. Absolutely not, as Michael was saying. And some of the greatest activities could be through a scientific investigation. We've actually been... Um, with our work at Stanford, collaborating with marine biologists in the Monterey Aquarium recently, and designing activities with them where students are actually watching videos of whales and looking at their data as they watch this video. Fantastic, engaging activities. So yes, um, absolutely, we should be integrating maths and science and maths in all sorts of um, areas as well. One of the things we haven't talked about yet is Uh, push in the framework to bring data to be more central to mathematics. We know that data literacy is a really important goal for all of our students. Um, They're all going to be vulnerable if they can't make sense of data representations and misleading data. So that's another way that maths can be come alive for kids and data from science, data from all sorts of areas can be brought into the maths classroom.
1: And by data, you mean things like understanding how to read a spreadsheet, the difference between correlation and causality as things examples that you gave in a in a piece that I believe you wrote a couple of years ago. Um, and I believe we have another call here about sort of bringing math to life. Star in Napa,
3: join us. Hi, Star. Hi, welcome. Um, thank you for taking my call. Um, my youngest daughter was in a great program from Lawrence Hall of Science called Integrated Math. It combined a algebra geometry and trig all in one she was not a strong math student and she took it for four years at napa high and it was fabulous it brought in everyday projects and i don't know where this program has gone i don't know if Napa's is actually i don't think they're still using it, and it was the best thing that ever happened and she stayed in math for four years she's not you know she didn't go to calculus or anything but it was a great program i don't know if you've heard of it Have you heard of it, Joe Bowler? Sounds fantastic. (laughs) Um, I think what we're hearing is an integrated approach, which is another big uh, recommendation of the framework. Let's not separate algebra from geometry, but teach all of those concepts together as the rest of the world does. And that is a way of making mathematics much more engaging for students Mm. as well.
1: How about integrating social justice? This is an area that has also gotten a lot of Mm -hmm. pushback, or at Mm -hmm. least there was this letter that was signed by, gosh, more than a thousand or so Mm -hmm. academics and business professionals that was really drawing attention to the framework social justice goals and incorporating social justice in Mm -hmm. math Mm -hmm. education. I just want to read a little bit just to give our listeners a sense and then have you respond. But basically it said that it would you know, rob all Californians, especially the poorest and most vulnerable, who always suffer most when schools fail to teach their students, that it politicizes K-12 math in a dangerous way, essentially demathematizes math, and that, you know, a real champion of equity and justice would want all California children to learn actual math, as in algebra, geometry, trigonometry, and Mm -hmm. calculus. So Mm -hmm. how do you respond to that?
3: Yes, that was a very sad letter that's been written that basically says maths can't be used in real life contexts. And it should be pure. Other parts of that letter say you shouldn't highlight underrepresented mathematicians. Um, and a lot of people signed it. It's A lot of people who really don't understand education have signed it. Um, a lot of what? them were
1: maths professors as well. Yes,
3: STEM professors. I would say I'd love to highlight that there's another letter that doesn't get the same publicity that the California Mathematics Council um, started, also being signed by a lot of STEM professionals and a lot of educators, signed by more people than the letter you mentioned, supporting the framework and saying that we want these changes in California. But yes, what they're talking about, this social justice approach, is really saying We can use maths to look at problems in the world. We can, for example, in a maths classroom, look at the cost of housing in California and see what's affordable from a living wage. That is tagged as a social justice task, but it's really just about bringing important contexts and um, things that will really be important for students in their lives into the maths classroom so that they can become mathematically literate and make sense of situations that will be important to them as they grow older.
1: Well, you do raise a good point. The math uh, framework, the draft has has brought a lot of pushback and a lot of praise as well. Mm-hmm. It does operate though in a political moment when yeah. yeah, education, the way it's things are being taught and especially the idea of integrating social justice principles mm-hmm. has really become a galvanizing force especially on the right in terms mm-hmm. of and and even here in California, right, you, you do see a lot of concern about, quote, injecting politics into mm-hmm. a subject that is viewed as dealing with numbers.
3: Yeah. It's Where really, do you think that
1: comes from? I'm curious uh, what you think.
3: It's really on. unfortunate that um, these ideas about making mathematics more accessible and interesting for students get pulled into that political arena, I think. Um, yes, we're talking about bringing in activities that are important to kids lives and that they can um, think about issues um, through with mathematics. And we think that will be really helpful for students that has been attacked by political groups. Um, So, yes, it, it. I mean, education is always going to be pulled into politics because you're actually Um, teaching real students about issues that are important in their lives not only in maths but in all subjects in the curriculum so I can see why it gets pulled into those political debates but um, I think it's unfortunate
1: What's your reaction to Deborah's tweet no matter the curriculum or approach with too many kids in a classroom it will always be a struggle, we don't prioritize education so these problems will persist
3: Definitely it's a good thing if you um, don't, if you have students that you can really focus on. Um, It doesn't show, the research doesn't show that class size is the most important variable in terms of students being successful. Um, There's a lot of research done on class size. And so I wouldn't say it's the thing I would focus on more than others, but certainly we want teachers to be able to really connect with all of their kids.
1: We're talking about California's new proposed math instruction guidelines for K-12 public schools. What's in them and what would change with Joe Bowler, professor of mathematics education at Stanford Graduate School of Education. One of the authors of the 2021 guidelines. What are your questions for Joe Bowler? What is your experience with math that you want to share or thoughts on some of the changes being proposed? 866-733-6786 is the number. 866-733-6786. More after the break. I'm Mina Kim. This is Forum, I'm Mina Kim. We're talking with Professor Joe Bowler, an author of the new California math teaching guidelines, which were issued in draft form earlier this year. And you can join the conversation at 866-733-6786 by emailing us, forum at org, getting in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum. And let me go to caller Kelly in Gilroy. Hi, Kelly, thanks for waiting.
2: Hello, Mina Kim and Dr. <laughs> Bowler. Um, first off, Dr. Bowler, I can't praise you highly enough for focusing on the education a training of those fifth grade teachers in the Central Valley and how effective it was at student success. I was a math and physics teacher for 12 years. So I have two questions. One is uh, the disconnect between math, education, research, and actual practice. There's a study done back in the 1930s by Louis Benizet where he simply didn't tr- uh, teach rote mathematics to a group of students up until sixth grade. He taught them critical thinking, estimation, measurements. And when they got to sixth grade, they could do math word problems far better than the control group. And he published three articles and nothing became of that. My second question is, and you can answer them after I uh, uh, go off the call, uh, is is Dr. Bowler aware of efforts in other states? I taught in Wisconsin. Uh, Madison, Wisconsin, and an integrated program, which I taught, was implemented 20 years ago, and it was very successful. A colleague uh, who taught physics also said the first groups uh, where they were all taught together, the uh, advanced students taught with everybody else, when they got to physics, they were much better at using math than the other students. But there was a huge blowback from the community and even math professors at UW-Madison. It ended up getting tracks to the lower performing students and then dropped altogether. And Dr. Bowler, are you aware of those efforts and lack of success? And do you anticipate that in California?
3: Kelly, thanks. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for the encouragement. And those are really great questions. Um, I'll take the first one first. The disconnect between research and practice is certainly the case. and. Um, What we're reflecting in the framework is research that's been done in mathematics education over decades that has really had no or very little impact in classrooms. And I would say, unfortunately, it's a problem of the system that the research often gets written up in academic journals that are behind paywalls. Teachers don't get to read them. They don't get the time. They're written in inaccessible ways. It is one of the reasons we put together Ucube, our center at Stanford to take those research ideas and translate them into usable activities for teachers and uh, I don't want to be promoting our own center but the fact that we've had over 54 million visits to the center in the past few years with teachers loving the lessons and loving the activities really gives us evidence that this can work we know what we're proposing can work. And I'm very sorry to hear about what happened in Wisconsin. Um, We're definitely looking at evidence from different states. We're not staying inside California. I don't know about that particular example. And it's very sad that we have these great examples that have happened over the years and often they've been pushed out and sometimes by math professors. And it's very unfortunate. It's, you know, been termed the math wars. It actually got really dramatic and has had a lot of attention over the years. And that is the essence of the math wars that educators develop really good programs with a lot of success. But some people have and they have been mathematicians in the past have said we don't want this we want maths to stay the same as we experienced in school and the way it's always been and so they oppose these changes being made. Will this happen again with the framework, I'm actually pretty confident that we're at a much better place now. Yes, we're hearing the pushback. Uh, We expected it and we're hearing it. Um, I, I would say though that when the framework was put out for public comments a few months ago, we had thousands and thousands of comments. Most of them were positive. So, uh, of course, there are people who are trying to oppose changes, who are trying to keep maths the way it's always been. But I feel that I I sense that those people are in the uh, minority now.
1: Well, Zoe writes, in sixth grade, I had the third highest standardized test scores in mathematics in the Sacramento School District, but I had to repeat pre-algebra in seventh grade because my school did not let seventh graders take algebra. In ninth grade, I had to repeat algebra because my high school did not let ninth graders take geometry. I was so far behind in skills that I never took math in college. That is the sole reason I have not gotten my baccalaureate degree. I'm 47 now and I feel like it's too late. One of the concerns that's been raised about the idea of not putting kids on an accelerated track in middle school, or I think there's another question here uh, where Marjorie writes, how does this new framework accommodate students who struggle with language arts? Also, why de-emphasize calculus in favor of statistics when many crucial statistical methods are derived from calculus? Basically, the idea being that if there are kids who don't take Algebra 1 until ninth grade, then they don't reach calculus by 12th grade, which is less appealing uh, in universities and col you know colleges have has sort of had this unstated rule especially mm-hmm. very competitive schools mm-hmm. that they expect high school students to be at calculus mm-hmm. and so there are a lot of concerns and questions around you know not being able to take the kinds of courses that would lead to the kinds of successes yeah. um, that they're hoping yeah. to achieve
3: later in life i'm glad you raised that because um the whole of the college system in California, the UCs and the CSUs sent an email out to 50,000 high schools across the country last year saying that we don't value calculus over other pathways and offering uh, schools to offer data science in as an alternative to algebra too, and for kids to go on a more data statistics pathway that the whole college system in California values as highly as calculus. So there are a lot of myths out there that it has to be calculus. I would also say we're not really de-emphasizing calculus. We're saying there are other pathways that we can make available for students in high school. Why have we always just focused on that one area of mathematics? Mathematics is a very broad subject and data science is a very exciting new field. And so why not have that as an option for students? So we're really broadening the pathways, offering different options. And even Stanford has changed its admissions statement to recognize that kids can um, go on a data science pathway. Sure, if you're going to be a maths major or an engineer, probably you need that calculus pathway as it's set out now. But for many other people, it doesn't make sense for colleges to select based on whether you've taken calculus or not, when calculus is not going to be a useful course for people going forward.
1: Well, Michael writes, I've been tutoring math for the last 15 years. I think calculus in high school should be available but not encouraged, kind of like advanced study of a foreign language. Mm -hmm. I think statistics, computer skills, and environmental science are all much more useful for most students. Um, So it echoes some of the things that you were saying before about looking at data science and statistics much more in high school as alternatives. Mm Calculus, And you do mention that the University of California's Board of Admissions strongly urges students, you know, not to race to calculus Mm -hmm. as well, um, because they are finding that students enter college without really a mastery of the earlier math curriculum that is needed. But I guess it's like one of those things, right, where university systems that parents and students are clamoring to get into... Mm -hmm. Really wonder if that's real because we've operated for so many decades with this sort of mm-hmm. unstated yeah. rule that that you need calculus.
3: It's definitely real, and uh, I, I encourage my own daughter, who's a freshman in college now, to take statistics in her final year of school. She took pre-calc the year before, and we debated together should we take calc, should she take calculus, statistics. Statistics was more interesting to her, and she's now in college doing well. The it's definitely real, and in fact. Students have taken statistics for generations instead of calculus and gone into college. It has been the case in the past that there's been this idea that calculus is the subject to have on your transcript, but the college system is trying to change that. And I think right now, if you're a student going through school and you graduate with data science on your transcript, you're going to look great for the colleges that are looking at you. I, I We have to change this system where it's all been about one subject in the higher levels because that doesn't reflect what's happening in schools and it doesn't reflect students' interests and having students be able to go to higher level mathematics in different courses such as data science uh, is just a really good thing for all of the students. Uh, And some students could take calculus and data science. It, It doesn't have to be a choice between the two.
1: Well, Christy writes, whatever they've done to math for the last 16 years has been horrible. Parents can't help their kids and the kids aren't retaining a thing. You can't brush over everything and expect them to master it. Lori writes, I'm a veteran California teacher and elementary math specialist. The draft math framework calls for eliminating flexible math lanes and acceleration. However, research shows that the best way to address the needs of gifted and talented math students is flexible laning and acceleration when necessary. How does Joe Bowler respond to this opposition from those who are experts in gifted and talented education?
3: One of the approaches of the framework, one of our recommendations, is to move away from the, all of this labelling of students. Yes, there's a strong movement in California to regard students as gifted. But what we know from neuroscience is there's no cutoff where one, one child becomes gifted and another is not. Everybody is on a growth journey. We're all developing our brains all of the time. And so, yes, we're recommending that we don't decide when students are, I don't know, seven years old, that they're different, and that some students have a gift and some don't, that we treat all students uh, with the idea that they have unlimited potential and they can learn anything. So it actually has not been shown to be successful to put students into these different programs in elementary school. And we're recommending that we give really good, rich experiences to all students. I have to say that um, we at Stanford, we have a lot of international visitors come to visit and they are literally open mouthed when they hear that in America, people decide that students are ahead of others. And so they give more money and resources to those students. Um, They find that whole concept really hard to understand. So, yes, in the framework, we're really saying let's give the best mathematics education that we can to all of the students.
1: And we're talking with Joe Bowler about California's new proposed math instruction guidelines for K-12 public schools. And you're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. A couple of things. One is that. I understand from reading the FAQ that the mathematics framework does not eliminate acceleration programs, and it does not eliminate calculus. For example, often though, what I hear too uh, as a response is that it's a it's it's guidelines, it's recommendations. But I do wonder, um, even if non-binding, for example, and districts Mm -hmm. aren't required to take them, Mm -hmm. what impact they really do have? Because I imagine the time and effort that you have dedicated to them really does mean that even if they are quote unquote non-binding, that they are very significant, for example, it also described the curriculum framework as helping to design instructional materials and professional development programs mm-hmm. for teachers which mm-hmm. of course make it sound much more than just mere suggestions right for how mm-hmm. we should improve our
3: math i think that's right i think the framework will have significant impact it has advice for publishers also about ways of making engaging mathematics books so it's it's also right that they're recommendations but i do think that the impact will be there and other countries I mean as we're hearing there's a lot of concern that we're not allowing students to race ahead and to go to high levels of content Um, in other countries that are highly successful you could look at Japan and China that also isn't a feature of their education some students outside of the regular school do extra mathematical activities Um, But in school, the students are going through together. So um, it's been a system that we've had for a long time. We're not saying let's abandon that system completely. We're saying let's look at this and see if we can improve on it. I don't think anybody listening would agree that we we can look at a test that students take in fourth grade and that decides whether they get to high level maths courses and which colleges they go to. That system must be um, able to be improved. And that's what we're trying to do. How can we make that better? Maybe those decisions move later. Maybe we keep students together, but give them opportunities to work on different content in the same classroom. Um, there has to be a way that we, um, our system gets better. At the moment, as I've said, it really pushes most kids out of high-level maths. And really that's what we're trying to improve upon.
1: A couple more comments, Allison writes, I think the best decision I ever made was not to put my son in the higher level math class in high school, as his middle school teacher recommended. We need to remember that the parent always has that choice. I know my son learned, and to me, his mental health was more important than being in a higher level math class. He now holds a master's degree in biomedical engineering and is thriving this is who writes can we have clarification on dr bowler's point that these standards aren't inspired by san francisco unified school district there's a 2018 hetchinger report article co-authored by bowler that congratulates san francisco unified on its math standards Mm
3: -hmm. yes we there was an op-ed written um some years ago with data provided by the district, looking at what had happened since they made those changes. It's not, as I'm aware in the framework at the moment, and the framework is absolutely not based on what's happening in San Francisco. San Francisco is a case, it's an example of some of, of a district that's taken one of the approaches that we think is a good approach in the framework other cases other districts are highlighted other ways of working are highlighted but certainly that is one way and the district has made changes with great success in San Francisco I know that there are groups who are really against that um, unfortunately but We have lots of different examples of different districts in the framework. And no, we're not basing the recommendations on anything that's happened in any particular district. We are basing it on a lot of research evidence on what we know to be effective.
1: Let me go to caller Wayne quickly in Lafayette. Thanks for waiting, Wayne.
3: Yeah, yeah, no problem, Nina. Thank you for taking
0: my call. I just wanted to salute the doctor for doing what she's doing. I really wish there had been someone like her when I was in school, I ended up taking a 10-year detour out of science and medicine because, and I I have 147 IQ, I'm, it's not to brag, it's to suggest that even bright people can be misdirected. And I just think that we also need to focus on uh, allowing teachers to grow the skill set, to be comfortable doing this, because if we don't, we're gonna lose another entire generation to being redirected to an area where maybe they're not the best doing what they, they do and also what they love.
1: Um, yes. Well, Wayne, thanks for your comment. And I just want to remind listeners, we just have less than a minute left, that there are ways, right, Professor Bowler, to continue to comment. What is happening with the framework now? The public can continue to mm-hmm. submit their questions, concerns, praise, criticisms.
3: Yes, the framework has a really careful review process and we are listening to the public and what the public thinks about it it comes so we've taken in lots and lots of comments it comes out again in January for another round of public looking and giving feedback
1: and well Professor Buller really appreciate you coming on today to help explain some of this and respond to some of the pushback
3: Yeah, thank you for the opportunity. It's great to be able to get the actual uh, evidence out there. Thank you.
1: Joe Bowler is Professor of Mathematics Education at Stanford Graduate School of Education and one of the authors of the 2021 K-12 Public Schools Math Framework, a proposed math instruction guideline for California public school students. You've been listening to Forum. Thanks so much for weighing in with your questions and thoughts. I'm Mina Kim.